Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Episode 3. Today I'm speaking to Wendy White. Wendy is based in New York City. She was about to open her first institutional solo show in April 2020 at the Museum Goch in Germany. Hi, Wendy. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm really looking forward to talk to you. Uh, I'm following your very interesting and personal um, stories on Instagram. I'm very dedicated to look at it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> before uh, before we go into all these things that kind of started happening during the past few weeks, um, I want to introduce you and your work a little bit. And I would like to do this by starting to um, when it started for you that you knew you would become an artist. I was... Um... I was one of those kids who was always making things when, when I was really young, from a very early age. Um, I didn't know how to make art, obviously. I was just making things with whatever I had. And I didn't really have an introduction to uh, art or, or, or know that you could be an artist, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I did not have parents who took me to art museums or I didn't know anyone in the family who made art. So I had no real um, official introduction. I just knew that I, I was always creative and was always drawing and building and making crafts and sculptures. Um, and I, I don't know, for probably from the age of six, Okay. And I just, I never had any other desire than to go to art school. And that's what you did then? I did. <laughs> what did your parents say? Well, my parents are very, um, they're, they let me be very independent in a lot of ways, um, thinking wise, not physically. Like I was, uh, they were strict in terms of what I was allowed to do as a kid. Um, and then when I, but they didn't tell me what to do at mm -hmm. the same time. You know, they didn't tell me I'm the first person to go to college in my family. Wow. So okay. there was no, um, yeah, there was no uh, legacy or history. So my decision, I think for them came out of nowhere and mm -hmm. had no precedent and they didn't guide me and they also didn't stop me. So, um, Which is I would the say, best thing you can hope for, that, you, that you, yeah, they don't stop you. That's true. They didn't stop me, and that's all that matters. <laughs> and uh, as far as I remember, then you started um, studying textiles. Is that true? I did. Well, I, I went to school, I went to undergraduate school for illustration, thinking that I would be, like I said, I didn't know you could be an artist. I only knew of um, people who worked as graphic designers or people who drew um, animation cells and things like that. I knew of uh, a an application that was much more businesslike. Mm -hmm. I didn't, and so I went to school thinking that I would become an illustrator and to study illustration, and quickly um, found the textile and fibers department because it was so open and they allowed you to use whatever materials you wanted. And I wanted to make sculpture. And um, I just kind of ended up there. I never meant to study textiles. It was just part of the program. Um, and ended up being pretty great because I got jobs from it and was able to transition from school to uh, the workforce with those skills. 
but also was introduced to fine art making at the same time via a materials connection. And I think that's why my, I'm not a traditional painter now. This is a question I'm really interested in. That um, Do you think that studying textiles and studying also more applied art that, inf that influenced you very much in the making of what came later in your independent uh, fine artwork? Absolutely. Without a doubt, I think it um, it started everything for me because I learned how to approach art making through materials rather than via an image. So I was taught to think of each material as having its own inherent dialogue, its own language that it came with and that I could then use and build upon. So it absolutely did change the way that I approach everything and It made me much more irreverent to painting. I know that <laughs> because I always thought, why just make a picture if you can tell a story with materials? So yes, it definitely did. It changed everything. But you didn't choose something which was only based on material. You didn't go into an abstract direction. You well, worked... I did it first. Ah, yeah, true. The very early ones, but then you more and more developed into something where you address the real world, isn't it? How, how did that transition come about that you started abstract and what started interesting you? I think I became, um, I would say a little bit dis disillusioned, although that sounds negative. It wasn't quite so negative. I, I became bored with the dialogue around abstraction. I became bored with the possibilities and I started to feel that it, it was becoming, and this is like maybe in 2010 or so when I started bringing images in and other kinds of, um, and going, going kind of harder into content, I, I felt as if abstraction was limited and that there weren't many possibilities left. And I felt that it was becoming very decorative. And I didn't want to be part of that dialogue. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, I think I started waking up to other modes of communication and feeling less confident about abstraction having the answer all the time. Okay, because, because I, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I mean, I, I remember, I think the earliest works by you I saw were kind of like shaped canvases or built canvases. That, yes. Which had these kind of abstract expressionism signs on them, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they were already moving in a different direction. And, and then yeah, at some yeah, point definitely. words came in or, or fragments of words. Yes, text was the first, um, I would call it representational element, you know, something that could be anchored to the real world in some way. Um, text was a, a vehicle for bringing in some kind of structure or architecture that didn't necessarily, um, wasn't necessarily picture-based. Uh, But it, it, it was very enigmatic, you know, so mm -hmm. because in the early works, it, I mean, because the, it was probably some kind of letter or some shape that looked like a letter or some blurred word, but it, it was never a very clear message. It was, it right. was always very enigmatic. And 
And so the way you use text was obviously not to really say something. You, you, you said that you wanted to say something different. What was that about? Well, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to have the, the text become the form and the content or be the form and content at once so that I would use a word or begin with a word and allow some sort of natural abstract. I, I felt like abstraction felt forced to me. Like mm -hmm. I was making, I couldn't separate my head from my hand. I couldn't make spontaneous decisions. I was simply reacting to whatever mark I had made. Um, and text became a way to begin with a word, decide on a word, make a decision. It's going to say, it's going to say this. But then through the process of making the piece, and especially with the pieces that had um, text that extended off the edges or some sort of built text, mm -hmm. um, but this applies to painted text as well, um, I would allow abstraction to happen during the process of making the painting or building the piece. And that way I felt, I kind of tricked myself anyway into thinking that I was taking some of the decision-making out. So for instance, if, it, if the word began with, with P and I started to build the P and I needed to uh, make it into an R in order to have more stability, in order to uh, buttress that architecture somehow. Um, in doing that, I would change the word and it would read differently or wouldn't read at all by the time I was finished. And that um, was exciting to me to be able to um, create something new that felt it wasn't anchored in just my uh, typical formal decision making oh so you you took in the beginning a kind of decision that then allowed you to be more free in the process of creating at least i i believed that i was mm -hmm. being more free i think that part of you know what we do is kind of convince ourselves as artists that we're that a lot of things are up to chance and very little is really chance at all it's it's one decision follows the last and this became a way to just give what ended up being abstraction some kind of structure in process. And for a while that was really satisfying to me and then eventually it wasn't anymore. Because I remember very well uh, the, the paintings where you build frames around. So it was like a painting in a painting because the frames mm -hmm. were actually paintings themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and also the three stripes, which had this kind of architectural extensions. And, mm -hmm. all, and, and sometimes even they still had kind of rests of letters or words. And it had this very urban feel. And also as a European, a very kind of like American aesthetics to it, hmm. although I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't want to pop, just pin it down on that. But I was wondering when you became more and more conscious that you wanted to get some content into your work, which was related to the real world, which is more than just um, structure. Uh, it crept in pretty slowly, but I think... Um, I may, after the, the multiple canvas pieces and the text constructions, I think the text constructions were the bridge. Um, and by the time I got to the three stripes and the contained paintings, which are paintings within painted frames, um, I've, I, I think that's where the change, I think that's where it sort of took hold. Um, but I think all of my work is about edges and transitions in a, in a formal sense, in a very simple sense. And then within that, I'm always looking for ways of somehow expanding 
um, are, how the viewer responds to painting, how painting functions, um, and all of those became devices for doing that. How would you like the viewer to respond to these works? I want to make something new. Mm -hmm. That's all I've ever wanted to do is make something that I haven't seen before and that no one has seen before. And I think that drives a lot of my uh, willingness to change my work, to alter my work, to push forward, to, um, I also think I get bored, you know, I get bored with one thing and I want to keep pushing and see what can happen next. Because I find that's something, I mean, this is really when I saw first your work, first on the internet and then in re in reality, that's exactly what I felt, that it's, I've, I've never seen something like that before. I've, I find it very unique, very new in, in, a, in a very singular way. And I find it astonishing that you say it so clearly that this is really your <laughs> almost your only intention <laughs> that's I think it is I, I think it I, I really believe that's true I mean it's taken me a long time to put my finger on why because you know as as an artist it, it, you continue if you do the same thing you can you know if you do the same thing for a long time eventually you you can convince people of that one thing um, that's a much easier path so um, I've given it a lot of thought as to why I don't do that because everything would be easier if I did. <laughs> But I, I, I'm just not intellectually curious um, in that kind of way. I, I need more. I need to see more. But is it also, I mean, um, is it only an intellectual curiosity or do other um, like emotions or other things come into that? Or are you more uh, believing that there has to be sort of like a strong mental concept for an artwork no I, i think it's a balance for me i don't i there's a lot of emotional there's a lot of spontaneity there's a lot of um most of the time i don't know why i choose why i want to make something i don't know at the at the outset why why i want to make it i just know that it feels right um and then it's not till part way through the process that i start to put it together and figure out how it builds on the last body of work and you know which pieces it actually derived from, um, that takes that takes time for me to see. So I very much go on feel and I'm very much led by materials and led by, I mean, it sounds might sound weird and cheesy, but I, I have a glimpse. I have a glimpse of what I want. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not always a visual glimpse. Sometimes it's just a feeling about, or a juxtaposition or, or a vibe. Um, mm -hmm. And... Yes. So, I, no, it's not, it's not just by intellectual. I mean, I, I don't separate the formal and conceptual either. So okay, I, I think yeah. all of everything is interwoven and I hesitate to analyze my process a lot personally in the studio. I, I let things flow and I figure it out later. And that's kind of worked for me. Yeah. Um, yeah leave it to the art historians yeah. to figure it out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and uh, because I, I remember very well when I, I mean, the first works I really encountered in real life by you that were the three stripes that had this really strong architectural feel to them. So they didn't only set on the wall in a flat way, they kind of entered space, which I found very, very convincing. And um, I must admit in the first moment when you then abandoned them or this uh, group of works was sort of like 
didn't make you curious anymore. Uh, and you went on to, to the other ones and um, then ended up, for example, with the sports and advertisement things, which was then your second show at the gallery. I was kind of disappointed. But then, because it's exactly as you say, you know, you get used to something, you think, oh, well, that's great, I want to see more of that. Um, and then it, I, I really found it very striking how suddenly, in a way, um, the, the sort of like the um, curiosity about commercialism, about advertisement, about all these things that uh, are or were probably a big deal in our culture, how they crept into your work. And how did that come about? Because that was not only a formal decision, it was also a decision content-wise. Very much. No, well, the, the three stripes, although they were um, largely based on architecture, um, I was thinking about um, ruins and new architecture. And the, you know, how we, uh, you know, there's nostalgia wrapped up in things that are fragmented. Um, there were pieces of text, things that were slipping away, things that were illegible. And then um, how new architecture is, involves much more ego and much more um, uh, sort of a, a desire to be heard. Mm -hmm. um, the new building, the, the tower. And I was, was thinking about those while making the three stripes. And also they were influenced by sports um, already but they were influenced by um, sports graphics. Oh, so I okay. think those two things um, just sort of began to merge in my mind, thinking about um, sports figures, not only as, uh, as idols, but as um, kind of time-worn in a way, um, how they have a lifespan that is just kind of amazing to think about athletes in terms of, how we treat them during our lifetime and, and what they go through. They're, they're, they're human, you know? So this, this idea of the sports figure of professional sports, the logo surrounding it, the, um, the sort of trappings, the, all of the, all the things that we overlook in order to be fans. Um, all of these things started just swimming around with, with the idea of architecture and with, um, and it's, I know this probably isn't making any sense to anyone but me, but at the time, they seemed to seamlessly, <laughs> it seemed to seamlessly fit together. Um, are you still there? I'm, I'm there. I'm listening. Uh, okay. I lost you for a second. Um, I don't know. It, it just, they, they, these things just melded in my mind. And, um, and I think also at that moment, I was becoming more and more disillusioned with the dialogue, the critical dialogue or lack of one around abstraction. And I felt that I needed to enter some other kind, some image needed to enter, something that was more representational, more, more focused, um, edgier, riskier. And uh, I wish I could explain it better, but sometimes things come to me in, in, a, in a way that is probably seems completely disjointed unless, uh, you know, I, I had a bunch of shows in Europe and people in the States thought, you know, they didn't even see the three stripes. So oh. when I, you know, they didn't even see the, what I thought was the link between the text works and the works that came, that came after that started to involve sports and juxtapose sports with abstract gradients and sports related imagery. So it was interesting to have that experience of, um, 
you know, people were completely tripped out that suddenly I was, you know, using images. Like, where did this come from? But to me, the stripe was almost an image in itself. No, I, 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 I kind of get those transitions. Um, it's interesting because I thought like, oh, the, the sports, because you were also using the logos, that it's sort of about, about the sports industry also, what, what people, uh, we, we sort of like worship the heroism of the athlete mm -hmm. and we love them, but there's also a, a big industry behind it, especially in the United States and for soccer or football, definitely all over the world. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I didn't see the kind of like the suffering you were that just addressing. But what I was interested in also were that you more and more started choosing female athletes. I did. Um, do you want to know why? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, um, it's simple, really. I started looking for searching for images and um, I want, I kind of wanted a balance of both because I use found images. I think of the images almost as a found object when I begin a work. You know, I, if I start with an image, it's something that I've found and then manipulated and reused or appropriated somehow. Um, although not appropriation with a capital A, but yeah, simply yeah. Uh, a, almost a dub. Um, and I found that, or I, I didn't, I couldn't find images of female athletes. They just didn't exist in the, like with in, in the numbers that they existed for men. Mm -hmm. So um, in doing the research and in realizing that, I decided that I needed to address that in the work because it kind of became something that inhibited, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't find an image of what I wanted. So I had to make, use a different one or make a different piece. And what did that mean in the studio? How did that change the, um, how did that change the trajectory of, of the body of work? And I, I thought, I, I need to include this, this research, this has to become part of it. It has to become a facet. So it did. And I started to focus more um, specifically on female athletes because I felt that there weren't, um, there weren't enough images of powerful women uh, in the world and especially in the art world. They just don't exist unless they are nude Or um, <laughs> I don't know, just there, there just aren't, they just don't exist in throughout art history. There just aren't any powerful images of women or many. Yeah, so that's that became true. a project in itself. And uh, also then, I mean, for me, also the show you did, um, Kelly Girl, with the mm -hmm. female race car drivers. I mean, I knew Michelle Mouton because she was very famous in Europe when I was right. a young girl, but I didn't know any of the stories of the other. Uh, drivers, race car drivers, the female ones, and also then I noticed that there were more of them in the 70s than there are now. So yes. in a way, do you think that sort of like this um, this history, this imagery actually, that uh, this reflects also the state of society we're in right now? Uh, yeah, I got, I, how can it not? I mean, we we've gotten started so many times and been had the rug pulled out of out from under us so many times. I think, you know, in the '70s, post women's liberation, um, a lot more women entered the sport, and it wasn't because I'm talking about auto racing in particular. Um, it wasn't because they weren't talented that they didn't stay there. It was because of a very um, focused campaign to get rid of them. And the more you research it, the more you realize that um, 
people had it out for them and basically removed them in by not sponsoring them, refusing to sponsor them, refusing to, to back them financially, which is so much of what professional sports require, um, especially a solo sport like racing. And um, just in terms of uh, fan base, you know, people made it impossible for women to compete. And it, yeah, it's it really caused a regression that that we can still feel today. It definitely has not been a linear journey for women in sports and, at all. And do you identify in a way with this as an artist? I do. I do, because I think there's something, you know, being an athlete and having this sort of short time in which you're able to, to be great at your craft. Um, most athletes, maybe not so much in auto but it's still, you know, you can't, you can't get too old in that sport, but most athletes retire by the time they're 30 and artists are the opposite. We um, supposedly get better and better and, It's um, a lifestyle that can be perpetuated into old age. And so I think there's, um, there's something about the discipline of the artist and the athlete that I always found um, to be opposites and also to be very similar in terms of singular discipline. You know, an artist goes into their studio alone, stares at blank white walls or a blank white canvas or a computer screen, whatever they're um, whatever is required of them and, and create something from nothing. And I think athletes, um, you know, it's very difficult to describe that kind of drive, um, that sort of wanting to have that kind of life because it's, uh, it can be lonely. It can be um, difficult. And I always found a correlation. I think, um, I think it does exist. I don't think it's just me, <laughs> but it could be just me, but I always, I just, I've, and I think I've also always been jealous of athletes. I would have loved to have been a professional athlete. It just if I couldn't have been an artist, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by them. Yes, but the good thing is you can do your craft into old age. Exactly. <laughs> That's the good thing. But this exactly. explains why you, from your balcony in, um, in New York City, <laughs> you do this kinds of sports commentary uh, with, yes. you, uh, with Michael. Um, mm -hmm. When you're watching the people that actually are not supposed to go out or do any sports. Um, so, and uh, I found it very interesting because um, you wrote me or told me at some point during this lockdown that you don't feel at all like posting your own work or do anything digital uh, yeah. like what everybody else is doing. Actually, me too, as you can hear, all these things are, yeah. the podcasts and the videos are developing from um, yeah, the shutdown of the world as we know it. Um, so why is that? Why did you think you, you couldn't do anything For your, from your own work right now? It just didn't feel right to me. It felt like we should have a collective pause and take a moment to not market ourselves, to think about, um, I just, it just felt wrong. It felt rude almost or vulgar or it, I just, I thought it wasn't, to me, it didn't feel like the time for self-promotion, the time for kind of plugging, like what did my, what did my painting in that moment have to do with anything? Um, and I had a couple 
things, you know, I'd just done the Armory show and come out of a big project. And I probably, you know, I had some interviews come out. I had some things come out that I could have posted. And I just put everything on hold and thought there will be a, a day when this feels right to do again. But for now, I and for the last six weeks or however long it's been, I just wanted to, to think and to synthesize and to um, to wait and and see see what I see what made sense and not just throw things out there in hopes of what getting likes on Instagram and just I don't know just nothing made sense in the moment and um, the only thing that made sense to me was to wait and are you still in that process I am. I, I did make a few um, studies. Uh, I just started a couple weeks ago to make a couple studies. And um, I just little paintings that and that's been fun. It, it's, it did feel good to make something. But it took it took me weeks to even have an idea mm -hmm. to even like what what was the thing? What could I paint? What was the what should the image be? What would the materials be? What size would it be? Um, where would I make it? Uh, and Because I don't have a home studio, so um, yeah, it's just I'm coming out of it. I, I feel I can feel myself coming out of it, but it's been it's been very slow for me. And um, as your show uh, in in Goch was um, postponed, it was not canceled; it was postponed, right? Uh, and it's hopefully going to happen next spring. During through this time, did you get? Another image of that is now your plan, what you want to do next year, a different plan than what you wanted to do this year? No, I haven't had a different plan. I think, um, I, although I may add to it, you know, mm -hmm. there may be something I may, there, there's an installation component to that exhibition that I'd planned that I feel has some room for, um, for growth in a way and for perhaps Uh, a new painting or a new move or a new palette or whatever it might be, something, something might enter that um, might enter the conversation for sure, because But, it has been put off a year and a lot can happen in a year. So, yeah, that's true. It's um, the question for me is a little bit like, are we just going to continue um as soon as things are opening again or will this be a fundamental change i hope it will be um i don't see how we can i've been thinking about it like an album like if you're listening to an album when bomb drops do you put the same album back on or the dust clears or do you listen to something else like how do you ever listen to that album again <laughs> Um, I, I think something has to, this is a, this is a collective experience for the first time in our lifetime. The world is going through something at once. And if things, the things have to change, I don't I, they have to, they will. In what ways? I don't know, but I, I don't think we can just keep, we can just pick up where we left off. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? I, I, I mean, no, <laughs> no, I, I completely <laughs> agree. Um, It's, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I said this before when I was talking to Andrew um, Jensen that I have the feeling we're all in a big waiting room and, yeah. and we just don't know uh, 
first when the weight will stop and also mm. which doors will open and to mm -hmm. to where these doors will lead us and it right. can be a very promising and fulfilling future or something more disruptive but we really don't know right now um, and the question is uh, how could we add and participate to a more uh, positive and human future what is mm -hmm. sort of like mm -hmm. especially as an artist what what can you do yeah i think it's our job to translate our job as artists and, and arts professionals and and every aspect of the art world to figure out a way to translate these moments um figure out a way to um not just to to react and not just to provide commentary which I think this is another reason why I held back on promotion is this, I wanted to think, what do you contribute? What, what can you contribute that matters, that means something? Maybe nothing, maybe contributing nothing is the way, you know, that's how I felt at first. I'll just do nothing mm -hmm. because I, I can't think of anything that could possibly um, capture the magnitude of, of this. Like uh, something like, hear, yeah, go, go ahead. Something like silence is golden. <laughs> Something, yeah, or just like, um, yeah, knowing when to when to just listen. I and I think in in New York especially, we don't ever stop. This has never happened before. So there's something about a pause that I think if we don't really take it, <laughs> use it somehow, then I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to, to take it on, to absorb it, because um, it's just too big. Do you think that despite the lack of respect in some countries for the arts, that art is more important than ever? I don't know. I'm, uh, sometimes I think that. However, I don't think that our every little musing is very important. Mm -hmm. I don't think that um, putting a stripe on something is important during a pandemic. I don't think that deciding if something is red or blue is important. It might be important for mental health. It might be cathartic. It might uh, fill the time, but I don't, I don't know if I think it's important in the moment. I think it is important after. Mm -hmm. to, That's what I as mean. As a story, storytelling device. It. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, it's sure. Yes. But again, I'm still, I mean, I'm still coming out of my own, I don't want to call it a funk, but just a, you know, this watching the city deteriorate like this has been just horrific. So I, I don't know. I, I think, I think it will be important, but I'd like to see some new modes. I'd like to see some uh, less commercial less marketed modes of communication, um, less of a top-down. I mean, everybody wants the same things, I think, uh, or most people who aren't on the top, you know, <laughs> to top 1%. Um, I'd like to see there be m more community um, and a more thoughtful approach to how we can introduce something new, you know, how we can reshape and rebuild without just coming back the way things were. I mean, there are a lot of problems that this has made so obvious um, across the board. So why not address them in the in the in the process of coming out of this? So address those issues. 
I mean, you said sort of like you were pausing and thinking and being silent, but uh, you also said you just started little paintings. And I did. What was? What are they about? What What are you dealing with there? Well, the thing that finally, the idea that finally seemed to resonate with me was something about, um, and it's not, it's not something that hasn't been in my work over the last few years, which is the, the mark, the, the, the either carved or forgotten or left behind mark, either a, a petroglyph um, in a national park or someone's carving into a school desk in high school <laughs> or, you know, just the, the, the little human mark that says that you were here the, oh yeah the, mm -hmm. the feeling of wanting to to leave to leave your name somewhere or show that you lived or you were alive or you you had contributed or participated in on earth um and i thought that's that feels important to me in this moment some time some small way of saying i was here we were here I find and that wonderful I mean. that, that um, the idea just to take those little marks where humans say I was here, and and maybe a lot of what we do is about that to leave I our little marks is. and say yeah we were here we were alive we're still here yeah, yeah. it's it's a very simple expression but it, I think it's um, extremely profound in just the basic human desire to have to show that you. That you'd been here and uh, what it's what could that look like and how could i how could i somehow focus on this really small moment and make it a big one so wendy i'm i'm just i i really want to thank you for uh telling your story and um i say hello and i wish you all the best and i'm going to follow uh very faithfully your stories on instagram <laughs> thank you <laughs> thanks so much for having me this has been great thank you Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Fan Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect.